us to hear. It is great to have you all with us. Um, welcome to everybody who I haven't met before and to all of those who are here every week. You know what I always say, if you come once, you're a regular at Robbo. So it's good to have all the regulars here today. Uh, I grew up in the 1980s, watching 1980s television, and uh, one of my distinct memories is watching The Hulk um, with Lou Ferrigno. Who remembers? Anybody young enough slash old enough to remember? There's some people kind of about my age with about the same amount of gray hair. Um, Lou Ferrigno, acting was terrible, but when you're eight years old, who cares? The Incredible Hulk was amazing. Um, and the Hulk is a character that's been reinvented every couple of years. And... Uh, most recently in the Marvel Avengers franchise. And um, if you don't know, of course, uh, the Hulk is uh, mild-mannered scientist Bruce Banner. It's his alter ego. Um, Bruce Banner was, of course, uh, doing a scientific experiment. He was exposed to gamma rays. And now when he gets angry, he turns into this green-muscled Hulk who loves to beat things up and smash them. Um, uh, if you were a little more highbrow, you might say he's a modern-day Jekyll and Hyde. But... Uh, we're not highbrow around here. Um, anyway, in the most recent franchise, um, Bruce Banner, he doesn't want to be the Hulk anymore. And so I picked a picture where he, he really, you know, looks a little bit unhappy. Uh, he tries to keep a lid on his anger. He doesn't like the out-of-control feeling of when the Hulk wells up inside of him. He doesn't like to succumb to the Hulk. Um, but there's a telling moment. The Avengers are all together. They're surrounded by enemies. And... Captain America tells Banner, he's not the Hulk at this time, he says to him, now would be a good time to get angry. And uh, Bruce Banner says, that's my secret, I'm always angry. And then he morphs into the Hulk and he launches into the fight. But I think a lot of us are like the Hulk. I, I think a lot of us, we're always angry. We're always angry and it's probably no secret to those around us. Um, anger wells up inside us, or perhaps it's bitterness or resentments, and, and there are wounds in our lives that we can't seem to move past. And anger is always seething just beneath the surface. Um, our Bible passage today is all about the consequences of uncontrolled anger. And so as we enter into the story of Cain and Abel today, I want you to enter, in, enter into your own story as well and allow God to speak into it because this story that we've read today, it's not just mythology, it's here to teach us about our own tendencies and it's here to minister to us, even in the midst of our darkness. Remember we said, God is light in Him, there's no darkness. God will come and search into our darkness today, and I'm asking Him to speak to us. So why don't we pray that God would teach us now, by His Holy Spirit, as we open this Word. Heavenly Father, You teach us that Your Word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Will you work in us today by your word to convict us, to change us, and to, to make us those who are characterized by love and not hate, forgiveness, not anger. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus, who himself prayed, Father, forgive them. Amen. First big idea is rivalry. Um, last week, uh, we as we continued in our Genesis 1 to 11 series, we saw the great and grave consequences of Adam and Eve's sin as uh, God sent them away from the Garden of Eden and away from the Tree of Life and, and away from that intimate fellowship of God or with God that they'd known from creation. Um, Genesis 3, it ends with this sense of foreboding. But as we saw last week, there are also signs of hope. So Adam gave his wife the name Eve, which means uh, living, because she'd become the mother of all living. And at Genesis 4 starts with uh, Eve becoming pregnant and giving birth to Cain. 
Um, and she says about Cain, she says, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Um, so Eve actually recognizes God's birth, uh, God's part in the birth of her son. So despite being outside of the garden, Eve still has a sense of God's provision. Um, and Cain's name is explained in the sentence we just read, um, being brought forth. Um, his name means acquired. Um, God has helped Eve to acquire Cain. Um, and then in verse 2, um, later on, she gives birth to his brother Abel. And then from Abel's name, we can tell that there's going to be a showdown between the two brothers. Um, Cain's name, it means acquisition. So Cain is a getter. He's, he's an acquirer. He's a person of substance. Abel, by contrast, is nothing. Um, it's literally what his name means, nothing. Um, do you remember at the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, there's that poem that the teacher says when he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Well, that's the word able. So everything is able, able. Uh, it's meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And that's able. He's meaningless. He, he's nothing compared to this brother who's the impressive one and the acquirer. Um, I grew up with an older brother, and uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. I admire him in lots of ways. Um, we always grew up constantly comparing ourselves to one another. Um, as we've got older now, it's a, it's a race to see who has more gray hair or less, I think. Um, I'm losing. Um, I'm much more gray than my brother. He turned 50 recently. I have got that over him for about another two years anyway. Um, but we had a lot of sibling rivalry growing up. Um, girls, uh, women, I don't know if you have that with your sisters too. Sibling rivalry is a thing. And Genesis 4 describes a sibling rivalry between Cain and Abel. Um, Abel kept flocks um, and Cain was a farmer. Um, he worked the soil, we learn, in verse 2. But the showdown comes in verse 3 when they each bring an offering to the Lord. So in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So you get two different offerings and two different outcomes. Cain brings vegetables and uh, Abel brings lamb. I know which one I would prefer. Um, <laughs> any lamb lovers in the room? That was a very modest response, I'm gonna say. Um, when we lived in the States, um, it was really hard to get lamb. So it's such a good thing to be back in Australia where you can get good lamb. Um, American lamb made Australian lamb look cheap. Uh, there you go. There's more to it than, than just the fact that God prefers meat over vegetables. That's not the point here. Because when you get to the laws for the sacrificial system in Leviticus, God is just as pleased with grain or, or olive oil as an offering um, if somebody can't afford a whole animal. And of course, our passage comes hundreds of years before God spoke any rules about how to make an offering to him. So we wonder, was it about the quality of the offering? Um, you know, we note that Abel brought um, the fat portions of his firstborn. Are we to assume that Cain perhaps brought something inferior, maybe not his best produce? I'm not sure. The text doesn't really give us any details. Was it about their attitude in bringing the offering? The New Testament writer to the Hebrews says, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. So is it something about the faith in which um, uh, Abel brought his offering? We're not sure. I want to test a theory on you. I, I wonder if it's maybe this. Um, it's just a theory. You can 
disagree if you like, but perhaps it was that Cain, this older brother, the acquirer, perhaps he brings this ridiculously grand offering to the Lord. Perhaps he brought like sacks and bags and, and, and I don't know, whole carts of grain, hoping to impress God. And then, and then perhaps Abel, the nothing brother, the meaningless brother, perhaps he just brings this small portion, this small offering, this pathetic offering compared to his brother's grandiose and amazing offering. And then God chooses the little over the lot, the, the humble over the grandiose. Maybe that's it, I'm not sure. At the end of the day, we don't know what was different about the offering, just the outcome that God was pleased with Abel and not Cain. And God approves of the younger brother and not the older. And as we read on in Genesis, this becomes a theme, doesn't it? Jacob, the younger brother, steals Esau's blessing. Joseph, the youngest of 12, ends up ruling over all of his brothers. It's God's choice to bestow blessing and grace wherever he chooses. And perhaps that's what Cain couldn't handle. My second big idea is rage. What left Cain full of rage. Cain burned with anger so much that it showed in his body language. Uh, one of my professors at college always used to say, the body never lies. And that is, when we carry stress or anxiety or anger or sadness, we always carry it in our body and you can always see it in the other person. It turns up in the body, the body never lies. And for Cain, his face was downcast, it says in verse 5. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Just pause for a moment. Isn't it a sign of grace that even outside the garden that God would actually still speak to Cain? Just like their mother, Cain and Abel still have a sense of God's presence and enough to want to honor God with offerings. And now in Cain's moment of rage, the Lord comes to him and he speaks to him about it. And I think God speaks tenderly. I, I don't think this is an accusation. I think he wants Cain to understand what's happening inside of him. Why, why are you angry? I wonder what Cain would say to that question. If you struggle with anger, I wonder what you would say in answer to that question. What is it that makes us angry? I think if you struggle with anger... I want you to think, what is it? What is the source of your bitterness? Where did your resentment come from it? And why is it so hard to let go of it? Because the danger with anger is that it can consume us. Um, somebody once said, um, harboring bitterness and resent, it's like drinking poison and hoping your enemies will die. Cain is filled with rage and he lets these toxic thoughts go round and round in his head. He retreats to them. He, he doesn't silence them. They grow and grow inside his head. And still, God speaks tenderly to him. God says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. See, Cain's anger threatens to turn into sin if he's not careful. Like, like a lion pounces on its prey, uh, sin desires to overcome us. It, it desires to consume us and tear, tear us apart and, and devour us and destroy us. And that idea comes in 1 Peter chapter 5, doesn't it? Satan waits to pounce upon us. Interestingly, God says to Cain, you must rule over it. It wasn't too late for Cain at all. And it's not too late for us to rule over the sin in our lives to deal with it and to take steps to keep it at bay or even to put it to death. 
It's not easy. The oldest Christians amongst us will testify to that. But something like anger can be hidden behind smiles and silence for much of the time. But the body never lies. The body never lies. The anger always comes out somewhere. And for Cain, his anger became murder. Verse 8. But now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Isn't that terrible, a brother murdering a brother? Anger can easily turn into murder. And I think perhaps that's what Jesus was saying when he spoke about the similarity between anger and murder in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said you shall not murder and anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. There's a very fine line apparently between what we think and what we do. And for Jesus, the way that we think really matters. The Apostle Paul warned against us letting our anger turn into sin. Um, and, And I love this verse. I think it's interesting. There can be anger that doesn't lead to sin. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. God works on us when we preach and when we hear his word faithfully. Um, I was reminded that this week I went to bed without dealing with something. Uh, Sometimes we need God to speak into it, don't we? There is something distinctly Christian about dealing with the causes of our anger and seeking reconciliation and offering forgiveness if it's possible and that's how God deals with our sin and that leads us to our third big idea which is revenge with a question mark revenge with a question mark so Cain has murdered his brother how will God respond Um, second half of chapter four I think it's reminiscent of the second half of Genesis chapter three just like God asked Adam where are you about his sin now he asks where's your brother Abel So the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? When God confronted Adam and Eve, at least they they were honest with him about what they did. But Cain is not even willing to own up to what he did. Instead, he treats God with the same contempt that he treated his brother with. Am I my brother's keeper? Dietrich Bonhoeffer asks, why does Cain murder? And... uh, Bonhoeffer thinks it's this answer. He thinks he murders out of hatred for God. So was Cain really mad at his brother or or was he mad at God for choosing Abel instead of him? Um, Jealousy and resentment often come from somebody else having what we want or what we think we deserve. And so many people end up being angry with God because they think they deserve something better or or something more or, or something different. And in their anger, they sin by pushing God away, by cultivating hatred for him, perhaps even killing him off in their mind. That's what we do as humans when we let it get the better of us. But that's not what God does with us. So just like God did with Adam and Eve, again we see God step into his creation and he makes himself available to Cain. He comes to Cain and, see that, isn't that good? God doesn't step away, he steps into creation. And he speaks tenderly to Cain and he counsels Cain. And he points Cain away from sin and towards righteousness. And even now as he responds to Cain's sin, God will still offer a measure of grace. 
Because our God is not a God of revenge. He's a God of restraint, a God of second chances and third chances. It's a God who longs to see his wayward children come back to him. The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain's curse, it's twofold. He loses his, his livelihood as a farmer. That's taken from him. And more than that, he's destined to wander restlessly for the rest of his life. And Cain recognizes the significance of this curse. He says to God, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. It's no subtle irony that Cain is worried about being murdered. Cain is the one who brought murder to the land and now he has to live with the consequences. Cain expects that somebody will take revenge upon him, perhaps one of his other brothers, perhaps even his father. Revenge is the currency of anger. And in our mind, revenge promises to deal with a problem, but it never does, does it? Our revenge never deals with the problem. God could have avenged Cain, uh, Abel's blood. He could have killed Cain on the spot. Uh, he could have sent Cain away to be murdered, exactly as Cain predicted. But our God is not a God whose primary emotion is anger or revenge. Our God, His primary emotion is love. His primary response is to seek grace and blessing and reconciliation. And so rather than seeking revenge, God restrains those who would seek revenge upon Cain. Look at verse 14. Whoever finds me will kill me, said Cain. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain. By the way, I don't think that's what tattoos are. I just put it in the picture. <laughs> the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Strikes me as we read this account that we're not so different from Cain. There are degrees of anger, yes, but sin crouches at each of our doors desiring to have us, desiring to devour us. Um, in 2005, Sufjan Stevens wrote a song about um, this guy, John Wayne Gacy, um, an American serial killer who killed 27 men and boys and uh, murdered them and kept the remains under the floor of his house. And uh, the song is kind of haunting and, and, you know, it was really hard to remember. But the part I can never forget is the last few lines, which were these. And in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I've hid. God told Cain that his brother's blood was crying out to him from the ground. And there's nowhere that we can hide our sin from God's gaze. There's no amount of scrubbing ourselves clean or putting on our Sunday best or, or smiling politely that will hide the blood that we've shed, at least metaphorically. We're really just like him. We're just like Cain. Can't finish there, can we? <laughs> Thank God that's not the end of the story. Because another day, another one would pour out his blood into the ground, murdered by those who thought they could bring a better sacrifice. Uh, but they were wrong because Jesus 
The Lamb of God died as a perfect offering for sin. And now God looks with favor upon all who come to God relying on this sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, the offering of Jesus on their behalf. Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for vengeance. It proclaims forgiveness for all who are washed in it. And this is the heart of the gospel. We have a God who longs to speak to us quietly and to counsel us and to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. So will you uh, pray with me as we listen to God's voice? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We know that sin crouches at each of our doors, seeking to devour us. Help us not to be overcome, but to put sin to death in our lives. For those of us who struggle with anger, Lord, give us your grace to deal with it and give us the resources. And Father, as we come knowing our failures before you, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, his blood cries out, you are forgiven and I love you. We thank you in his mighty name. Amen. I'm going to read uh, a Bible verse that we originally had to come before the sermon. We're going to read it right now. It's Hebrews chapter 10. This is a reminder that we can come forgiven. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 23. Um, isn't it good to know that we can approach God, not worried, not, 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 not sort of overcome by our sin, but coming with confidence that he has washed us and made us clean. We're going to stand and sing and celebrate that a little bit more.